What does it mean to to be awake? What do you do when, as you migrate from Africa to Canada, your grandmother leaves you with a gem of advice? She says, stay true to your religion. What does it mean to to migrate to the West and its wealth and its comforts and then return home changed by a different upbringing while staying connected to the spirit that is moving through you? This conversation with my dear friend Hadra Ali who is a Youth and Innovation Officer at the United Nations Family and Population Fund is a being of light, uh, a spirit that is really and truly committed to that, to that state of wakefulness that allows our heart to love and our devotion to burst forward while we are doing work that matters in the real world. Enjoy this conversation between two friends who come from very different backgrounds, but share a similar longing for a way to be here in the world. Awake, full of love, and making a difference for others. If we have not met, my name is Gibran Rivera. I am a teacher, a guide, a coach, and a facilitator. And with this podcast, I am inviting you into a conversation with remarkable humans, remarkable people who are devoting their lives to the evolution of consciousness and culture. Your attention means the world to us. Thank you for being part of the conversation. And please, let us know what you think. I am beyond excited to have you on the podcast, to invite my friends and the world to know about your world, your work, and your person. It has been such a blessing to know you over so many years, and your passion, your faith, your commitment to your work and to your people are something that I have, I have always, always found inspiring. I named this, you know, I think of this podcast as a conversation with leaders who are devoting their lives to the evolution of consciousness and culture. And mm-hmm. I think that's, that's what you are, that's what you do. To briefly and formally name your current role, which is not where we'll begin, is that you are currently serving as the Youth Fund Portfolio Manager with the United Nations Fund Fund, Fund Population Agency, yeah. Fund Population, Fund Population Agency, working on both, yeah. on UNFPA, working on both entrepreneurship and innovation development. Focused initiative supporting, innovation development focused initiatives, focused, supporting the development of hundreds of startups for youth. And you are calling us today, you're connecting with me today from Mogadishu. Yes. Right? Which is, how long have you been in Mogadishu now? 
I only moved here in June. Okay. Uh, you, uh, yeah, six months now. And I love it. I've always been afraid of uh, Bordeaux. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, I, I was scared to live here, but I've, I've in the last two years really fallen in love with this place and made friends and I'm so glad to be here now. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's so it's so interesting when you say that. I have this my we lived in Puerto Rico in a town that was far from San Juan by Puerto Rican terms. In Puerto Rico that's like 2 hours. Um but when we would go to San Juan, the capital, there would be this sense that that was a scary place, you know? Mm-hmm. And I just remember as a child just feeling this sense of fear everywhere, you know, because the parents kept telling you that that's what it was. And sure, more things happen in the city than outside of the city because there's more people. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't necessarily, you miss so much when you let fear cloud your eyes. And, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I mean, I, when I was a kid, we used to live here um, in Moldesho in the early 80s. I have a connection to the city. This is the capital of Somalia. Uh, so much uh, has happened here. But when I moved uh, away uh, to Canada, we first went to Egypt and we, I grew up in Canada. I was I returned back. I'm originally from Hargeisa. I was actually born in Hargeisa, which is in Somaliland. And so I returned back to Hargeisa, Somaliland. And Somalia and Somaliland we're two separate countries now. We used to be one. And so that was 10 years ago. So I've been living most of my time in Hargeisa and really didn't lost connection to Mogadishu. And only until I recently like visited. And I, actually, let me give a more uh, more context to Mogadishu. So Mogadishu, it's one of the most beautiful cities ever, honestly. It's in, in the coast. Um, it's a port city. And but it's dealing with a lot of uh, terrorism and and so there's horrible things that happen in terms of there's this fight uh, happening for the city, a lot of resources and and so there's a lot of unpredictable explosions that happen, car bombings and and so and a lot of people you don't know like a lot of people have died here. Um, just living their everyday lives. So the struggle is real. So in my mind, living in Hargeisa, I was like, no way, I would never go there. That's a that's a lost cause place. It, it's not getting better. And so I had all these judgments about it. And then like slowly visiting the place since 2018, you first start off in the very green zone where, and there's like a lot of soldiers here. Uh, there's a lot of armies. There's Amazon. There's... Uh, there's a lot of people working on the security sector, which is huge. Um, and so you just judge it at first. And so it started off like visiting slowly. Um, it wasn't until two years ago where I met intellectuals and people worried about this area and finding these learning communities and discussions and debates and and the energy was so much different. So it just... Hergeso is great, and Hergeso just became like I, I Hergeso was like felt like retirement to me. <laughs> like it was a predictable place; it's beautiful, things are stable, 
Um, but it wasn't the heart of where the problem is with all the embassies, the donors, the, the official government. And so I felt I needed to be here. This is where I actually can make the most impact. And um, that's what I just decided to move and be part of it right at the core of it. But it is hard. And there's you a know, lot of trauma. You know, I just but- want to take a yeah. Step back and say what you're describing is nothing like what was scary in San Juan. This is this is an entirely <laughs> other level of threat. So I just want to walk my way back. <laughs> and uh, but it's incredible. It's incredible. <laughs> but you know, Madra, I, yeah. I, I, I've known you. I know I met you. Uh, I believe I met you. Yeah, right. Like maybe twenty fifteen. Yeah, and um, and did I meet you the year? Anyway, I met you, and I since then your commitment has been the same. And I met you at a conference, but then you were part of the first ever evolutionary leadership workshop cohort. And that work is so much about taking an idea out of your mm-hmm. mind and a dream out of your mind and, and heart and make it real in the world and it's just like stunning to see you pursue that with such commitment and to be there doing you said you wanted to be there you've been saying it i've been saying it and i i think honestly my work ever since that first evolutionary leadership um and being in that place and Obviously, we started off with some really hard questions. Even before we, we went to Hollyhock to be at that place, you asked us a bunch of questions. The journey started before, right? And so I was like journaling and you were, there were so much tough questions and so much doubt about myself and my abilities. And, and doing that inner work was the most important thing before I did anything Um to to speak what I wanted to do and to do it in a way that was like just try that little mouse and and so forth. So I've it has ever since then a lot of things just kept unlocking for me. I mean, just that year, um, I after I, I, that evolutionary leadership, then I went to some unconferencing. Actually, I went to Hergesa. I went to back. I went to Hergesa, and I met. Um, these impact hub people. So I, we, people who are talking about entrepreneurship and um, not waiting for governments and NGOs, but do it like, and I was like, I resonated with this so much. And then I went to the unconference, all in the same year, by the way, but they were the foundations. Like all of this was the foundations of my prayer of like wanting to do so much. And at that evolutionary leadership, right. I I knew what I, I wanted to be there, but there's so much I wanted to do right? in peace building and working with women and doing like there was so much. But at that same at that same speed and some or those little seeds were starting to grow because I met the impact of people. And then I met these unconferencing people in Berlin and Adis and we, we it started to unfold my journey in like having uh, the foundation that the work that I'm doing now and have been doing was set with those things all in all coming out at once. Um, so I, I, I 
what has I, I helped me to what has grounded me was like I wanted to be part of the change. And so, yeah, that's the commitment. I don't know what it looks like, but I know what it feels like. I want to connect in a way that is authentic and and debunking myths and trying to learn together. Yeah. Um, yeah. And also trying to solve some of the most pressing problems here. Um, sometimes right. I was a little bit more advanced right. and that didn't help because you had to be with your oh, community. I, yeah, it's, it's amazing how there are these years in our lives that kind of lay so much tracks all at once, you yeah. know? Uh, I appreciate that all happened at once. And I definitely want to get into what you're doing, how you're doing it, your values, your approach. And uh, one question I like to ask every time to a podcast guest is, and I like to ask it at the beginning, is about, I would, I would love to hear about a belief that you have one, that you once held to be true, a belief that used to define you. Uh, that you no longer, that you no longer hold as tightly. Maybe you don't even believe in anymore. And the reason why I do that is because, in my mind, a true evolutionary leader is a leader that that can change their mind. And it feels like we live in this culture where, like, our political stances become this rigid ideological beliefs that that are unchangeable and we get into like intellectual bunkers and we identify our egos with it and that immediately makes us mean and cruel towards others and so i love for people to hear examples of how amazing humans have changed their mind and i would love to hear uh, if you have a, a good example of that I mean, for me, I would say the example, there's a, there's a lot happening inside of me in terms of the, definitely the identities that I was holding on to. Um, and the most leading one for me was um, being this Muslim woman, Somali woman, um, and trying to practice in a way that was prescribed for me in in so many ways of like uh, unpacking that for myself. But I, I feel like, I feel like um, I was the most judgmental to myself and most hurtful. Like that is where I didn't, I wasn't good enough or I doubted so much of myself and having uh, the agency or the power and always feeling like um, I was just fighting for that space as as a woman, and 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 so I don't know. I feel like what I've kind of let go of, or letting go, or or allowing myself to mm. be myself in my own power, and be, and being less afraid yes. of my own power, and not being intimidated. Even I feel like when I'm when I'm when I'm who I'm. Wh- when I'm working here in Somalia and in Hergesa and Somaliland and, and doing my work, but in a less 
intimidating way that is like, I need to fight for it. But I, I actually, I am my power and my kindness is my strength. I am not uh, opposed to like, uh, what do you call it? I, I think that has my, that has been my power. Because, for example, when I was working in Hergesa or even wherever I'm working, people don't get it, but I love making tea for people and hosting them and 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 not feeling like, oh, isn't that such a stereotypical thing of a Somali woman to do? But it's like, no, it, it's actually, I love doing it. I, I love hosting people. I love being with them and even working. Uh, and, but having that hard work behind me in terms of like sharing my ideas and challenging mm, people yes. in the kindest of ways. <laughs> like that's what I've embraced. And I guess I love Right. But not treating that as a weakness at all, and not yeah, no, hard my, on your myself. Kindness and the the purity, the goodness in your soul are by far the most powerful things about you, at least from what I've witnessed. And and the it can be it can be stunning to just be in your presence, and it's communicating right now, you know. So it's 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 wonderful, and it's it's wonderful to hear just like. This way in which we relate to this foundation of beliefs, including our relationship to something as important as race, as, as faith, or as identity, you know, um, it's a it's a really big deal to be able to stay true to what is essential without while also like releasing some of that rigidity that I think sometimes comes. With be, I mean, a lot of older people keep it forever, but it, there's something about youthfulness in it. It's like you're trying to fit the world into a box, right? And uh, I can really, really relate to that. And I see that a lot in this, the young people in social movements here in North America right now yeah. who have the purest of hearts, right? But can easily fall into this rigid uh, ideological stances that that limit possibility. Um, Hadra, I I want to ask you more. Thank you for that for sharing that. More about your personal story. You've mentioned Toronto. You mentioned Egypt. You mentioned Somaliland. I want to know more about how you grew up. When you got to Toronto, how old were you? Did you remember learning English? Like I remember learning English. But before I do that, I'm sure it's going to be embedded. One thing that I think is obviously stands out about you is your faith and how close it is to your heart, the way you hold it, um, the way it moves through you. And uh, we are in a world that is that is often devoid of faith um that is that is secularizing that has a spiritual but not religious vibe and certainly i mean you're in, you're in somalia mm-hmm. right now but here in north america to be a muslim or to be a muslim woman feels can be so like anachronistic to what dominant culture is. So I would love for you to speak to like main like first about faith. Like what is it that it lights up in you? 
and then about how you how you navigate right the world that that is that is not most of which is doesn't tend to be there with you at least when you are here in the west yeah yeah i mean uh, i love this topic as you know <laughs> because i mean i i've always um i've always been curious in terms of like faith and and in different spiritualities and and so uh for me like when i left somalia i remember my two grandmothers telling me uh, don't ever forget your religion. Don't forget your country. Don't forget your people. And it is actually one of the things that has stuck with me and made me want to return, be a re- return back and be part of the change here. But for me, going growing up in Canada, I went there when I was seven years old and I, I loved it. Um, it. It's an amazing country in terms of just being young and it's a young country in the sense that you could be part of the change there. It's only 150 years old. Um, you get to be embedded in it. But I, I always felt like um, the school system didn't really capture all of your identities and neither did the home uh, where they weren't seeing the changes that you're going through and the religious spaces. And so um, for me, I, I, I went through a very religious path where I was like covering my face and I wore the naqab and really got into a very strict form of Islam, um, Wahhabism, Salaf Saleh, which very strict. And I, uh, I wanted to, mm. you know, learn and grow in that way. But I, the more I practiced, the more I lost my spirituality. And I was like always that spirit. I love to pray and I love like no one needed, to, I wasn't that kid you needed to tell to remind to pray or anything. I, I wanted to do it myself. I covered uh, myself. Like I, I, when I wanted to do it, I did it. And I used to love to read the Quran and all so forth. But when I started to become this very, very religious person following all these rules and, and so forth at a, at a young age, I mean, I was just like finishing high school, going into university, a very pivotal point in my life. But I could see that this community that I was in didn't also see a lot in me in terms of being an immigrant who has a future to think about. They were just like, you know, get married. You can't free mix. You can't. It had all these rules. Right. And I was like, ah, so I slowly came out of it. And it was, it was uh, very, it was just too strict. And so I but didn't, but I didn't know how to communicate or uh, yes. like battle it. I, I had I left it quietly because it was like I don't want to be pointed at because there was a lot of pointing, um, and so it makes this fear. It's for me that I was I was I was I figured out that I needed to just uh, get out of it in a quiet way, but we ended up with my sisters at that time creating uh, Gashanti. Gashanti Unity, which was a space for us to bring all those identities together and talk about everything that was happening. And the uh, it was not only so Gashanti is a Somali word for young yes. Somali women growing growing up graciously. And you and I T Y came from a Queen Latifah song because <laughs> we were also I was we were also impacted by growing up in Canada, being dealing with other cultures and hip hop and, and so forth. And I, I love that I was this mixed 
culture kid, right? And so that having that expression has been one of the most powerful foundations for me and creating that space for others to also express themselves mm-hmm. and, and look into our critical thinking, leadership capacity, really challenge some of those things in our own safe space. Even then you could see some of the work that we were doing, we're always like not sharing. I guess it was right, it was before social media existed, but we weren't about like putting everything on social media. It was just having these spaces that were really there for us uh, to create create and to develop. And so that's really helped me uh, as a person but as I bring it here, um, I know that also here is it's dealing with a lot of religious fanatics. Like there is the, the very thing that we're dealing with, the ideologies that we're fighting here, us as Somalis and the chaos that we're in. Um, I, could, I could see a repeat and I feel like I can contribute in a different way as well. It was not always in a not in a way that, like our way of not, it's not about the social media. It's not about sharing those stories, but kind of infiltrating and navigating and shifting the conversations in a different way, I guess. That's beautiful. That is so good. Um, I'm, I'm very moved. I, I don't think, it's certainly true that not all kids are like us. And when I say like us, it's, I was also one of those kids that, that wanted to pray, that was curious about God. Um, I grew up in a community that was fundamentalist in, in, in its approach mm-hmm. to religion. So I also know what you mean by, by the way it tries to bind you. So it's like this confusing relationship because there's something to the teaching that that you're feeling in your heart to be true, but there's something to the way in which it's held, right? That doesn't that 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 doesn't seem to liberate. It also it actually seems it's like it's 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 like taking the vastness of of God, the universe, and and trying to yes. box it in. And and I and I what I what I like to point to a lot, um, and it's interesting how you're contending with it in a place where where you have the kind of fundamentalism that can turn violent um is uh i think about it here as we're closer to that in 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 north america than we think right mm-hmm. like we always think that's over there but both like you know i often speak of what i call mo- movement fundamentalism some people call it kind of social justice thinking and and I'm all for social justice but there's a, a a rigid fundamentalist way of holding it which which turns anybody that is not a part of it and makes them into bad people yeah and then once you turn anyone into bad people then you don't have to be kind to them right and right and so any ideology no matter what it aspires to, but any ideology that gives you an excuse to be resentful and hateful of the other um, is a dangerous ideology. And by the way, just to, before before my re, my listeners misunderstand, because a lot of people listening to this are in the social justice world, um, 
it's it, it's it seems to get to kind of be even like we have an issue of white Christian right wing nationalism here too, right? And it's just and it's like it's not even so much about it's like the faith is secondary, but the nationalism, right? Like the like this is supposed to be a white country and making America great again means returning to like white supremacy, right? So it's like both poles seem to be dangerously close, right? To yeah. having an excuse to violence. And and it's not very different from yeah. what religious people do. I think I think it's I think it substitutes it, you know? It, it, it's like uh I think people like you and I that that have experienced fundamentalist thought that have even made it a part of ourselves understand how much your heart and body open right right when 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 you let go of that rigid thing and then what you actually want becomes possible because then you're bringing your heart your true self and your kindness forward to the world right right yeah. what i'm learning is that especially here in in somalia for example People want, uh, so the people who are joining these, these fanatics are, for example, they want to just, um, they want a life, they want to live. There's, there's, I meant like, they want job, they want, they want employment, they want to have a good life, they want a stable life. And sometimes I feel like, and there are a lot of people who use them when they lack, let's say, the literacy is very low and the lack of quality, like quality education or information is not there. And, and so how do you, cause if you do, how do you then take it away? I don't know in America, like probably these fundamentals, I don't know how exposed they are to the others. Right. Right. And so how do you give way to debunking some of the myths and the things that you believe and they're not as big as thing people are making it. And I know there are people who are using, like there's there's a lot yeah. of forces, yeah. right? And that's what scares me sometimes, but also what makes me determined um, to, I don't know, change, like put the needle somewhere, like work towards this and find the right uh, people who want to believe in good and who want to spread goodness. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And yes, no, you're right. It's like, um, there's like, um, an economic kind of despair that goes together with a crisis of meaning. Right. And so anyone that, that can plug that hole, right. Um, you, or tell you that they can plug that hole inside of you you'll get carried away with it because you just want to feel like you belong to something that is bigger, right? And I think that's a that's that's just a very natural human human tendency. Thank you for the gift of your attention. If there's something here that resonates for you, something that feels true and good, Think about a friend that you could share it with. We curate for each other. And that's the only way the good stuff spreads.
I want to ask you, you do so much, but what is, um, what is turning you on right now in terms of the work that you're doing? Like, or, or, or what is the thing that you're aiming for? What are you, what are you experimenting with to use evolutionary leadership language? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Definitely. Um, I think for the last few years, I've in the last yeah since since this journey, I've I've definitely been focusing on the entrepreneurship ecosystem, um, using uh, economic development as a way to solve some of these problems, and working with young people. And so in Somalia, it's it's seventy percent young people. It's a young population. It's um, it's definitely a place uh, and. Uh, I've been able to like just work with them in terms of like doing skill development programs. Uh, we did a digital um, digital design school and I loved it. It's like just learning those skills and taking it uh, into market so that I've meet my students everywhere. I, and th that's been the most joy of like meeting young people who you were able to change their lives and also helping them start businesses Uh, what does that look like? Not only working with young people, but also like the whole ecosystem, the financial institutions, what kind of policies exist? Um, what spaces do they have? And really, and I, I could see like the conversation from since 2017 to now really shift more hubs being uh, popping up, connecting with not just hubs in Somalia and Somaliland, but also in Afro labs. And so I'm, I, it's such a joy to be part of that work. And, but there's something else that's been just nagging at me, right? And I, and I, I have stopped myself from starting it because I've, I've, you know, when you're, when you're starting new ideas, it takes time and energy out of, out of you and also economic, um, economically too, you're always starting looking for funding. So But I got lucky in the, in the sense that when I took on, because I quit my job working at that hub and I got a job at the UN, which I never thought I would work at the UN. Right? And I was like, okay, I need to get paid too. Absolutely. Right? <laughs> and so I, I took it. But I, luckily, um, it's luckily working in the same exact thing. I'm, work, I'm not working with only one hub. I'm working with all the hubs. And I get to influence it by working with the donors and the embassies and, and so forth. So it's a different space. And I think I needed to be here. Uh, but the thing that I didn't start yet and I want to is there's still for me the space that needs to be created. I don't know how to do it yet. So I've been calling it the TOS framework, which TOS means wake up. All right. So this kind of waking up and how do we, the very thing of like, having space to critically think, to, to write more, um, to um, use innovation and design thinking and like experimentation, that kind of stuff. But I've stopped myself, but it's still, it's still there to do it. Um, I don't know if it's to do it like a more, because their education system is great, but I think it's, the, I, I think it would be even better if we did some design thinking courses for them um, so that, um, let's say, people 
the young people that I'm working with, they're doing great. Like, okay, you're do you're starting a business, you're getting the skills, but I wish they had more critical thinking and that they were trusting of themselves. Cause there's a lot of copy and paste and like, is this the right answer and looking to you? And I, I don't want that. I don't want to be like, it's great that we're part of that, but I want to be part of how can you really give them the tools to start, um, Yes, challenging yes, yes. and I am so moved by that. that so. uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna share something that I'm hearing between the lines, and you can tell me if I'm making this up, right? Uh, but uh, but I feel like when I hear you, when I knowing you, right? Like knowing the role of spirit in your life, knowing the seriousness of your interior journey, right? Knowing your faith, knowing your, com your commitment to kindness, right? All of these things. Um, when I hear waking up, I hear everything you're saying about thinking differently, new ways of thinking, design thinking, and critical thinking, and Yeah, like trusting your own capacity to innovate and create. But I'm also hearing, particularly given the name and the context of knowing you, that it is something that also gets at the, the soul of the person, the way in which the person imagines themselves helping people wake up to an interior journey that can be informed by tradition right like i love what you talked about like what that what your grandmothers said to you right but also by what is here and now like you talked about queen latifah and i you know one of the most magical times i've ever spent with you has been on the dance floor right so it's something that uh that caught that there's something about it at least in what i'm hearing i don't think i don't think i'm projecting this on you that includes that, the body, movement, the soul, a way for you to kind of find the truth inside yourself in order to then actually be able to express something new. Am I making that up or is that is that part of what you're saying here? That's part for I love it. You're capturing, I love, you know, I love that. Yeah. Um, yes, you're capturing a lot of it. Um, I think there's something brewing inside of me to to share that. I mean, in some ways, I get to do it with my close friends and figure out this idea and experiment. And Muldusha has been actually a better place for me to, because I'm all my family is in in Hergesa, and so I'm actually here on my own, making my own like making my own friends and connecting with people just because of we connect on intellectual level and idea level. And so it's been beautiful to just share that and, and to live in that. But yes, I love this idea, but, and I, I think it's something that I, for me, I guess I, it's the one question is like, how do I, yes, share this new way of thinking and have it be grounded in the things that are happening here and bridging those two has always been uh, a thing Also, as a as a diaspora girl there who's been here for a while, people will always be like, oh, you don't get it and you're not that committed to it. And to be honest, I, my audience, in some ways, I want to be that vessel 
to share stories of what's happening in the country with the right people so that because the diaspora is a huge resource they give they give right. majority of the development money in somalia here it comes from them right there so they're the biggest investors if i look at it that way so it's good that in some way that's my strength that i'll be able to communicate with them and share with them what they can invest in whether it's in farming and you know we need more uh we need more solutions that they could provide but also my biggest audience or who i want to work with is the future which is the young people here who grew up here and connecting with them and, yes. and understanding them is like the core of it so this idea i think I, it's gonna be long term mm -hmm. and so it's good where i am i'll tell i'll tell you being at unfpa i think i'm in the right place i'll tell you what they're like the un agency no one understands because like UN, UN, unfpa population fund but they do um they're they're the, like the they're the census population and development agency but then they switch to so they then they switched to uh, mm. sexual reproductive health. So we're the main agency for sexual reproductive health, uh, gender, and youth. So of all the agencies that work here, they're the one they work on those thematic areas. And so I'm learning actually, and I never knew there we have we still have the we still have female genital mutilation. Ninety percent of the people, the line of young women here get cut. Yeah, ninety. Ninety percent. My lord. And I was like, "How could I forget this? That this was an issue? Like, I I thought we were. I thought we stopped yeah. practicing this, but we actually still practice it. Right. Imagine a country that cuts women's genitals. Okay. That so I can't when we're when I'm like, oh, entrepreneurship, innovation. I'm actually at the right place yes. to work on some of these like core issues of like, why is this a cultural norm yes. and it's embedded in religion because it's uh for example we used to practice the so i guess there's more education on the faraoni practice which cuts off everything basically right and and so there's more awareness on that and the health issues and so forth but now they practice where they just cut a little bit of the clitoris hmm. and call it sunnah they call it sunnah, so people mistake it for belief that this is a religious practice and that it, if you're not, yes. you know? So I was like, what? And, and child marriage still mm. happens. So a lot of young women get married at a very, very young age. And that's because of just economic reasons or, you know, lack of. So I'm, I'm, I'm at a place where I'm like, I didn't know. And how can we know more about it and like work with the religious leaders and they're doing it at the agency so every day i'm like i work at the youth i'm like working with the with the youth team and the in the innovation but then now and i've been working with the un since last year but since i moved to the head office um i get to like work with more teams plus we have a humanitarian crisis right now right so somalia goes through these droughts and now it's like approaching famine. I mean, this is one of the most intense wow. places to be wow. at. I'll tell you that. They're one of the most intense. So the, the issues have been chronic. Uh, and there's a lot of problems to solve. And I feel like I'm 
the right place to explore, to innovate, to to be here again, uh, working on some of the issues that I'm passionate about, and really deal with, uh, work with those, get the data because it's the population. We are like data oriented as well, and so I am at a agency that actually is the right place for me to to actually dream up and understand these issues and and immerse myself that way so that actually I can that nagging thing will be created yeah soon, I can feel I that I, I, I got goosebumps I can feel the truth just especially in that last statement you got you know my my body responded like with with the reality and just gonna Knowing your determination, your focus, and, and, and your passionate commitment, I can't I can't imagine it not happening. I want to make a, a comment and then uh, ask you another question. I I have a friend, a dear friend. Her name is uh, Danielle Coates Connor, and she she actually was a videographer for. The evolutionary leadership after after your year, and uh, she worked with an organization, I believe it's called Tostan, and they did really impressive work uh, decreasing female genital mutilation in Senegal by actually being in community yes. and with the elders, right? And so, uh, I'll I'll put that in the show notes for people that are interested, and I'll find a way to share it with you. Um, it seems, yeah, it just seems it's so harrowing to consider, right, and to 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 come to any kind of terms with. And uh, I'm just appreciating you for mentioning it and for caring, and and that's part of the power, I think, of because you know me, I am also bicultural, right? Like I'm full Puerto Rican, but I grew up. Since in the mainland since I was 12 and there's something to knowing both that helps us some people call it code switching others other you know you can just kind of like build bridges you know yes. um and it's funny that you talked about yes. the diaspora as being the biggest investors because I was going to ask you that like what is your relationship to 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 the diaspora you you answered the question and people don't even understand how these migrants, they're not making a lot of money in the West, right? By Western standards. And they still manage to send so much of their money to to the native countries, right? And it's just like, it's a perspective that that you don't understand if, if, if you don't come from a migrant place, that, that people that are poor by Western standards are actually funding the economies of other countries with their hard-earned labor. It's a, it's a phenomenon. It's a, it's a powerful thing. Yeah. They are, and I think for us, it's mm-hmm. that generation uh, is getting older. The ones that were first generation were spending everything. The kids of those parents who've been sending all their lives are now, I don't know, they don't have the same connection to give. And so the relationship is changing and these people demand more information and more like 
what is it actually doing rather than just upkeeping? <laughs> so I think uh, we need with this. We just need to info, give them more information, and they will invest even right. more. So we, right. even we it's call great. it investment, where before it was just remittances, right? We were they were remitting, right? We're calling it. We we're investing back in our country. We're going back. Uh, we're starting businesses. We're they're, you know, just having more connection in that return. Uh, mm-hmm. But actually, there was a thought I wanted to share with you about the UN and how I feel mm-hmm. like uh, there's such an opportunity to do toss inside of it. The, the way because it's also changing as an agency right um and it's also asking itself a lot of questions and so it's right. so good to kind of do the entrepreneurship inside of it although it's so hard as well because there's people who've worked there um and i, I it's actually so diverse because every uh, there's Inter- and then oh, the craziest thing about the UN is there's the nationals and you're an international. I'm kind of in that middle. I still hold the Canadian passport, but um, I'm a national, you know, I am. And I don't want to be an international and in, 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 especially working in this context. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I, I'm also so, so code switching in that environment as well and bridging. But people who work there are very, they're coming from all over the world. and you have to kind of have a lot of emotional intelligence and a lot of like understanding each other and slowing down and what's the intentions and working together. And it, at that level, it's so, the power they hold, it's, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. So it's, it's good to be in there Uh, as a, again, I guess as a diaspora, as a returnee, but, um, I guess to work for this powerful agency and hopefully like contribute where I can. It sounds, it sounds like you're at the right place. And uh, I would also say that they are lucky to have you for sure. Um, If I, uh, I want to ask you maybe something a bit more personal, which is how do you resource yourself? Right? Like, there is an awareness of actual danger, like bombs don't go on in predictable places. But then there's an awareness of harrowing practices, right? That like genital mutilation, right? Like there's all of, there is a drought, right? There's just like a and a lot of a lot. But people don't understand. People here in in the in the West is again. I think we just don't understand how close we are to that kind of thing, right? Like how things tip really quickly. How we are in the middle of climate change. How we are experiencing threats yeah. to democracy. How people are armed yeah. in this country and have ideological rigid beliefs, right? Like those mass like, shootings. I'm sorry. Yeah, exactly. It's it's just so, um, and I don't, you know, I call myself a tragic mm. optimist, meaning 
I believe in the good, but I'm not trying to close <laughs> my eyes yeah. to the bad, you know? And so to be there and to be there, you know, away from your family, um, to be there as a woman, um, how do you, where do you find your strength? How do you resource mm. yourself? Well, I mean, so far, I'll tell you, again, I think it is a space that the work that you do, if you do it really well, you could feel it right away. I mean, you could feel it faster. Like you could really influence uh, the right decision makers and donors and embassies and so forth. So it's the risk almost seems worth it. It like, I remember when I moved here, I moved inside the, like there's stages, right? Where you can move in the green, in the airport area, the green zone, and then outside of the green zone and where you just take a bajaj everywhere. And that's what I did. Like, um, as I got home, What's a bajaj? bajaj is a tuk-tuk or one of those little right. cars, you know, uh, yeah. tuk-tuk, right? Tuk-tuk, oh, yeah, like, like, uh, yeah. You get it? Okay. Yeah. And so uh, I was taking and I moved into these new apartments inside, outside. And one of my friends was like, listen, it's good, but you don't have to come to the checkpoint every day. It's a bit risky. Things do happen, you know? And so... A month or so after I moved, I moved inside the green zone, closer to work, and so I don't have to face these. And like one of one of the days, it was a it was a Saturday actually. A really bad suicide car bombings happened in that very in that same area, and so I'm just grateful and lucky not to be have been there. And a lot of people died, and it was hard. Like, but having friends that one like share information with you or was who were there with me that day to like talk about it and and slow down and do counseling definitely you have to do counseling you have to work on your healing um it's it's i don't even know how you call healing because not only was there like that that bomb and there was more bombings and i don't know there's that tensity here where there's warnings and you're like, okay, something might happen today. So we all stay home and we don't go out. There's moments of that. I don't know. Like sometimes I'm like, are you sure you want to be here? Like you don't have to be in this intensity, but I guess in some ways, um, I want to be part, not part of the intensity at all, but I want to not abandon it. Like there was a abandon it to, uh, so that others who care less about it, not that I, I wish people cared more about it, but not to leave it, just to show that solidarity of, of like things. Well, actually, I do believe things are going to change, right? There's like a, right now a huge a war against this these fighters, and so I do believe uh, the good side will win. I hope, like you, you're definitely taking a chance on your life, and I hate mm-hmm. that. I really do. Like it's not pleasant um but um i'm here and i think i'm making a difference in terms of just pushing the needle forward where i can so where i'm resourcing myself i don't know like go definitely take a break take a walk cook have great conversations 
see the beauty in things, be grateful as much as possible, you know, be, and I, and I, I've, I am the happiest, you know, maybe because you're so close to intensity that you just live every day. So Mm -hmm. grateful. And, um, and just try, like I do, you know, people who are here, they just say, you know, no one passes their day. You're going to die the day you're going to die. And so you just don't feel like you, you're not going to live any longer then so just know that and you what your time that you're gonna live is the time you're gonna live and so i hope that i get to live long and to be able to witness uh the change in this place and to witness beautiful things come out of it i believe that's what i'm gonna may it be so may it be so you have you have certainly my prayer with you and the prayer that you hold so closely in your heart. And I'm asking the listeners um, to pray right now, you know, like take a moment in this podcast and look up at the sky and send goodness your way and to the people where you live. I think, I think that's something else that we have in common. We are people of prayer. We know that there are other forces Mm -hmm. at work and that, we can stand with them. And in some ways, nobody needs to be reckless or careless, but to be yeah. to live your life afraid of death is to be afraid of the inevitable, right? And so it's not to live at all, right? So the, the warrior befriends yeah. their own death. And uh, that's what I see you as a kind of warrior of the heart and as somebody that's just bringing light everywhere you go as you, as you have since the day I met you. Well, I share that poem. I share that poem with everyone. <laughs> I love it. Shine. Yes. The, one, the yes, Marianne yes. poem. Yes. I remember. I, I want to tell people. I live by it. I love it. Um, that, you know, you came over to to our house, and and uh, Darshan, my son, must have been two or three, and like he just knew that there was God in you. Remember that interaction? It was so <laughs> special. He he could really see it. Um, yeah. and, and that that speaks volumes, and that's that's what allows you to do what you're doing. So. In a moment, I want to invite you to tell me anything that uh, that you haven't shared. But I'd like to do this exercise with people uh, before I hang before I end the call, which is simply with your consent to invite you to do a little time travel, right? So if you're okay with it, if you could pause and imagine yourself. 20 years from now, right? Like a generation from now, where you're alive and you have succeeded at some things and you have failed at some things, you have learned some things and you have definitely grown as a human being, as a soul, and in your mastery, right? And so I want you to see if you can visualize that person and visualize them and feel their energy and 
from where you are now, from where we are now, if you can ask them for advice, you know, like what is the thing that your future older self wants you to know? And once you hear those words, if you can come back to this space between us and let us know what you heard. She will say, the advice, right? The advice that she would give me is I would say she would say thank you for holding on and in those moments of 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 weaknesses or doubts that i don't listen to those moments but listen to the moments where your heart was full and that kindness and that investment that you're putting in now it will it will definitely pay off in certain ways yeah mm, another one Another one of those moments when the goosebumps just take over and I feel the truth of your words. What a, thank you for doing that. Thank you for doing it with such, such reverence and seriousness. I really appreciate that. I, um, I keep on my desk a picture, you know, using one of those apps. I may have a picture of old me, mm-hmm. right? And I literally have it on my desk. Right, so that old me can pass the wisdom that I need to have that that has been earned, you know. Um, um, so with that, Hadra, is there anything else that you want to make sure we hear? Any any message? Anything that you want to tell the beautiful people that that give their 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 time and attention to this podcast? I don't know. I, I'm currently reading uh, 40 Rules of Love. I am too. You are too? I'm too right now. That's amazing. <laughs> wow. What a coincidence. I show you like, oh my goodness. Then we can talk about it. But I yes. think it's that be- book so beautiful because it's this woman who gives up on her, in some ways, just living this life that's ordinary. And then she meets this, she gets this manuscript. Anyway, we're not going to ruin the book for anybody. But that's where I'm at right now. And I, I think I just want to share this idea that, um, and I, I think a friend of mine gave this book to me, who's also like in the moment of exploring like the Sufism and and that love and the layers. And again, this ocean you're talking about that, People try to put the world in this, but it's so vast. And and so I'm I'm really enjoying um, that moment of of even yeah this work that I'm doing. It is a spiritual thing. It actually yeah. is very much grounded in that 
knowing that this life is temporary and there's more to life than these moments and um and so it's our little tests but i'm enjoying this the little loves that's all around us in this conversation and in in this work and so i'm so just i knew i i, I wanted to actually do this first of all you know you're my one of my teachers right mm-hmm. and so i get to be i have a conversation with my my teacher and uh and we teach each other in so many ways and so i i really yes. appreciate and i'm ground i'm grateful for that opportunity and this opportunity to connect with your audience and um to just share with them not just the work that i'm doing but as as people in this work yes. and what we're feeling and thinking and uh just figuring we're just figuring it out um yeah i'm yeah. just yeah figuring it you're out a, you're a, a a true blessing upon this world and um i am so excited for people to hear your voice and and your grace and you're absolutely right we teach each other we learn from each other uh, and and I think I think we have something special in common. I think I think we are particularly oriented to faith and to prayer. And one of the things about the book is a is a novel of Shams of Tabriz. And Shams of Tabriz was like a, him and Rumi had this love relationship that 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 was divine, and and the Rumi that we know we wouldn't know without Shams. Before Shams, Rumi was a prodigy, a great scholar. You know, he knew he mastered all the arts, but he had not yet experienced the fullness of love in his heart until that meeting happened. And Rumi's poetry speaks so much of Shams. And and I guess I bring that up because what is unique about it is that it's at about, about the, the relational nature of God, you know? And in some ways, that's so much of the work I try to do. I so bring, try to bring so much of our attention to the space that is alive between us. And and I got to say, as, 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 we, as we log out for now, is uh, I have experienced that communion here today. Um, you and I have not talked in too long. Yeah. And uh, we kind of just sunk right in, and and I I feel the presence here. And uh, when we read the stories of the saints and the great beings, it's so important to allow ourselves to identify with them, mm. to say this what we're that we're doing right here <laughs> is is at least approaching that. It's it's a version of that, and there's right. a miracle and a grace in it, and hopefully people can feel it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, many blessings to you. Signal versus noise. There's so much competing for our attention. And I am so glad that you stayed with us through the end of the podcast. It should mean that you're finding something meaningful here. Hopefully, something worth sharing. And so I'm asking again, that you think of somebody who would be touched by this conversation, who wants to be a part of it some way. It is a decentralized conversation. It is a way in which we're changing ourselves by leaning in towards each other in places like this and in the exchange of these ideas. So who's a person or two 
that will be specially moved by what you've heard here today. Send them a text, an email. Let them know we're here. We're not trying to reach everybody. But we want to reach the right people. We want to keep having this decentralized conversation. We want to keep working on getting right to the edge of the evolution of consciousness and culture to see what we find here together. Thank you again for being a part of this. Liking the podcast helps. Subscribing is definitely a good thing. Feedback is always welcomed. Stay in touch.